Hey everyone, it's Mel here again with another episode of the Weekly Watch. And it, we have a bit of an, an interesting one this time around. I'm going to be talking about three films and I've just found out like a few hours ago that for every single one of those films I have an absolutely contrarian point of view. Um, people loved a certain film, I didn't like it. I loved a certain film, people usually don't like it. So it should be really interesting. It, it shall be dubbed the contrarian episode. So what can you expect on this contrarian episode? Um, I'm going to be talking about Ghost in a Shell. Well, it released yesterday, so got to talk about it, right? Uh, you can check out my review on Acting Hour um, if you want to have a look at it. But I'm going to be talking about it way more in depth in here. So just, you know, stick around, right? Um, I'm going to be talking about The Lost City of Z. And last but not least, something for the kids. I'm going to be talking about Smurfs. And in case you know roughly the general gist of reviews and potentially also moviegoers, what they think of all these films, I, like I said, have an entirely different point of view on every single one of these films, so you know exactly where I'm standing if you already know what everyone else is saying about it. But let's just jump right in with um, Ghost in a Shell. I think that to me would be the highlight of the week. Um, I I really liked the film. I was I was quite surprised. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of anime anyway. Um, even though there are a lot of people that like anime and they're watching Ghost in the Shell, it's like I don't get it. I don't like it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I went to see it in IMAX 3D, which is something that I'm not really a fan of. Um, I went to see. Well, before I went to see Ghost in the Shell, there was only one other occurrence where I went to see a film in IMAX, and that's over oh, well, 10 years ago. It was the second Matrix film, Matrix Revolutions. Um, and that was like, what, 2003, I think it was? Oh, sorry, not Revolutions, actually, Reloaded. Revolutions was the third one. Ugh. Yeah, both of them, I, I'm not a fan. I, I hated them. I, I love the first Matrix, but oh my God, Reloaded, Revolutions, what the fuck were they thinking? But you, you kind of bring up the, the Matrix films because obviously they were highly influenced by the original Ghost in the Shell anime by um, Mamoru Oshii, who, um, or Oshii, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce it, I'm sorry. Um, and, and I watched that in the 90s, I think it's from 95. And it's really great anime. I mean, I love anime anyways. It's not as cool as Akira in my book, but it's fucking fantastic. It's, it really goes like really deep down with all its its themes and stuff. It's, it's a bit cerebral. There's a lot of shit happening there. And it's not necessarily easy to digest, which is why I think this version, the real life adaptation of Ghost in the Shell was changed around quite a bit. So you still have like the general gist there. You have uh, you're, you're in the not-too-distant future. I'm not sure if they actually give a year. I didn't actually pick up on a year or a location, even though the city you see, that metropolis, it looks very Tokyo-esque. But I don't think they ever actually give the city a name in the film. At least I didn't pick up on it. And just for the record, I went to see it in IMAX 3D to review it. But I also went to see it in standard 3D yesterday with a mate. And if you get a chance to see it in IMAX, do it. Oh yeah, my whole point about like uh, the, the first time I went to IMAX, oh, tangential thing. The first time I went to IMAX, like in 2003, I really didn't like it. And I sort of, because of the film, I think, I just didn't like Matrix Reloaded. And I think that's why I didn't think that IMAX was that spectacular or anything. I was like, why the fuck do you have to pay twice as much for a ticket 
just to see it on 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 the square screen like when i grew up um your tv was square pretty much you know four by three and you wanted to see films like in cinemascope you wanted to see 16 by 9 right so so going imax kind of went was like am i going backwards it's like the, the, i had this really weird aversion and i was like I, I'm, I'm just not digging it but when we sat down for ghost in the shell and then it started and it starts out with this really great sequence where you um the, the creators basically of, of the shell they make um they make scarlett johansson's shell that they put the brain in at the end and it looks really fucking cool and plus we got really we got there really late we had like one minute to spare before the film started so you can imagine the kind of seats that we got we were really far at the front which is not apparently very good for watching imax and i think it's not really that good to watch any kind of film you kind of want to sit middle middle that's kind of my thing um but yeah we worked up really late and we had what i thought were rubbish seats so i was kind of half readying myself to basically throw up all over the people in, f in the ro uh, row in front of me but none of that happened while i did have to do a bit of a tennis match you know left right adjustment with with my with my head every now and then because we were sitting that far at the front um it was a really immersive experience and i really really loved it i thought more than anything the film is just it's visually really stunning but then like i said i went to go and see it again yesterday in standard 3d and it was it was pretty bland compared to the IMAX experience and I was really surprised by that. Uh, it's not good to go and see the film twice in one week, trust me, it's just not that good. Um, it really doesn't hold up well after a sec for a second viewing. Um, there's just not that much there, it doesn't have a lot of matter to discuss with you. It's very superficial, um, they, they simplified the story from the original anime which is a bit of a shame but I kind of understand that they're trying to make this this theme about cybernetic and enhanced individuals and and the theme of the of individuality and and who you are um and what makes us human and and stuff like that it, it was very very simplified to make it easier digestible i think to western audiences because i think asian audiences like i, I like i said i love anime and they have some especially obviously anime is um japanese cartoons basically um but one of the things that really fascina fascinated me about them as a format was that they are so grown up and they depict a lot of stories and scenarios and characters that you would never see in Western um, cinemas or TV. You know, like that, that was like 20 years ago when I, I started watching anime. Um, and it blew my mind and then let, let alone of course in cartoons you know I remember all the time that I was growing up my mom was like why are you still watching cartoons you know I was a teenager and she's like why are you watching cartoons that's for kids it's like no mom you're not getting it um, so yeah I'm a huge anime fan anyway and then uh, I think this Ghost in a Shell real life adaptation it is a good adaptation of the anime like I said it's very dumbed down it's very simplified they've turned this very cerebral experience into an actioner it's like a sci-fi actioner it's, it's it's almost like a popcorn a westernized popcorn version of the anime that's i think that's how i wrote it down in in my review it's easily digestible it doesn't go it doesn't really delve deep down to explore certain issues like it brings up a lot of issues in the film um but it it mentions it and then it it kind of like puts it to the side it never really grasps onto it and, and 
and goes in there and tries to explore and, and all of that, which, which I thought was a bit of a shame. So just in case you don't know what it's actually about, I've been ranting about it all this time already. So um, in Ghost in the Shell, you have a character called Major, um, who's played by Scarlett Johansson. And so it takes place in the near future where a lot of humans um, are augmented. So they have cyber enhanced bodies. Um, pretty much like what did they say like 70 75 percent of the population they have like um, something that looks like a data port in the back of their neck is like four little holes that you can plug shit into and they have like cyber enhancement like around the side of their of their face and some people have like mega strength and people can learn really quickly because they you kind of just upload that data into their brains someone in in the film bought a synthetic liver so the person can just keep on drinking and drinking and drinking without um, without being hung over and I assume without getting you know alcohol poisoning or, or liver poisoning um, someone else um, gets their eyes um, swapped out um, and and all kinds of different things and it's because of that it is very bizarre looking and very futuristic and that's kind of what I've grown accustomed to when you watch anime they're very out there they're very experimental there's nothing that they're not showing which in some cases is like what the fuck maybe you should not show this but you know it's 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 always been really out there and experimental and really ballsy and that's what i liked about it because it would show you things that you would otherwise not see not in the cinema not on tv and i i thought that was fantastic now it's it's a highly visualized um, story. Like I said, we're in the near future. A lot of people have these enhancements. The protagonist is called Major and she's played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, as you probably know because of all the controversy about whitewashing and stuff and I'll get back into that later. Um, and she's kind of the first of her kind because she is someone who is fully cyber enhanced. So she doesn't have a human body anymore. She is basically a cyborg. She is a synthetic shell and only her human brain has been put into that synthetic body. And that's never been done before, which is why she's the first of her kind. And because she that, that experiment worked and she now works for a uh, team called Section 9 and they're basically going up against I'm not sure if they're just going up against cyber terrorists or terrorists in general, but they're basically they're basically charging after the bad guys, terrorists and, and all kinds of criminals, right? And in her latest encounter, they come across a dude who manages to hack into everything. The guy hacks like a network that is behind fuckloads of, of firewalls and they even he even manages to hack into robots and cyborgs and other people. And so he's obviously really dangerous and they're trying to, to find him and trying to stop him. And while they're after him, Scarlett Johansson's character, she basically finds out more and more about herself because she's she's not a robot, but she's, she's a human in a full-on cyborg body. And so she experiences glitches and then there's more glitches and then there's a doctor and she's like, do you want me to get rid of your glitches? It's like, yes, please. And so she gets rid of some of the glitches and then the glitches come back. And, you know, there's a ginormous reveal near the end, which is quite, well, I thought it was quite predictable. And it's also really controversial because of what they did there. But I'm going to be talking more about that in the spoiler section because I'm really sure as fuck don't want to spoil this for you. Um, the first time I went to see it in IMAX, 
I really liked it. The entire thing to me looked like a real-life adaptation of an anime. The gist of it, the visuals of it, it was it was fast-paced action, it was very colorful, it was very very um, CGI heavy but in a way that I was like this just looks fucking fantastic and actually it's not just the CGI it's just like everything um, I think everyone's seen that scene with the geishas and just the way that is framed and the way that looks it's just so wow like just looking at that image of the geisha f centered in the frame walking towards camera and, and then walking away from camera it's just, I don't know, but that image, for whatever reason, it, it just, it talks to me. I really find it very engaging. And then obviously a lot of stuff happens and and you have some action and the action is really cool. And I think Scarlett Johansson did, did quite, an, quite a good job. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm keeping the whitewashing aside for now. I'm going to be ranting about that later. Plus, just for the record, I'm not Asian, so I'm probably not the right person to talk about this, but it did fucking bother me, considering the... It's brought up in the story itself, so it's not like the film could shy away from it saying, oh, we weren't aware that there's whitewashing. No, it's actually part of the fucking story, of the fucking plot, and the way they handled it is horrible. Um, so not just that they cast a white person in what is a famously Japanese role. I mean, all anime, all anime characters are inherently, the base structure is, they are Japanese because all anime takes place in fucking Japan and while there are some Western people living in Japan the fucking majority is Japanese or at least Asian you know so it's just a why why did you have to do that but like I said rent, we're gonna rant about this later so I thought Ghost in the Shell really captured the feel of the anime I have to admit like I said I love the anime but the look of the anime has never been one that I really got behind. I, um, I mean, to be fair, one of the first ones I ever watched was Akira and that's just visually so fucking stunning and beautiful and colorful because it takes place all at night and when something takes place at night, it's, there's so many vibrant colors out there, um, which is why that doesn't usually happen. And Ghost in the Shell obviously doesn't do that really. But what I loved about the film is it took a lot of scenes, iconic scenes from the anime and sometimes it felt like they did a frame by frame in the film but there's definitely a huge homage to the original anime and it looks fucking fantastic it's like they took this anime which is uh, over 20 years old and gave it like a modernized look and i really liked it but the problem with the film is that while the anime dove really deep down into what identity is and th there was this huge AI component by the way the AI component from the anime was completely dropped it's not about this AI thing that there's another dude um, that shows up you've seen him in the trailer that Kuze dude who's played by Michael Pitt also you know should be an Asian person but played by a white guy um, and he is sort of the antagonist and then stuff happens which I'm, I'm gonna be talking about more in spoilers um, but they, they changed it around, they changed the ending around like crazy. Um, I like the one, how it happens in the anime, um, which is obviously where, where, the, where the government comes in and where it's this whole melting of minds and the AI melting with the protagonist and stuff like that. None of this happens here really. So, um, you know, get ready for an entirely different ending. But overall, if, if, I, if I were to forget 
about the anime and about the base material, if I just look at Ghost in a Shell as a standalone film, it works. You know, for me it works. Yes, the story is very superficial. We don't really delve deep, which is really funny considering someone does a deep dive in the film and, you know, all that stuff. And it's all about like going deep down. It's like, who are we and what, what's it actually mean to be human? And who am I? Just because my shell is like this robot shell. Am I not? No, you're not the same person. You're not the same. You're human because you have a soul, because you have a ghost, because you have a human brain in this robotic body that you are in. So really interesting themes and ideas that unfortunately in the film don't really get explored. But they, they get mentioned. So it's, it's one of those films that once you've seen it, you start talking to other people about it and you're like, oh, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? It's, it's like it, it, it wants to give you like a little, it's like a little Chinese biscuit and you open it up like, like one of those cookies and you open it up and it, it has like an idea in there and then and discuss. We're not discussing it in the film, but you can discuss it afterwards with your mates. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, but the film itself, I think you get a solid science fiction actioner film. The action is really cool. I think the visuals are really cool. I like the way that the Metropolis looked, um, even though in the original anime, there was nothing with like these ginormous all over the place holographic ads. But somehow that felt really true to me. I think I might have seen this in another anime because my first instinct was, wow, this is exactly like in the anime. And then I rewatched the anime. Um, on Tuesday after I'd seen Ghost in the Shell in, in IMAX on Monday and I was really surprised going like what the city looks entirely different in the anime where the hell did I see this is like this a huge ginormous metropolis with like all these holographic ads and stuff and I'm sure I've seen that in an anime and I just couldn't place it but that's what I mean it's like the feel of the film the feel of the Ghost in the Shell adaptation it felt like an anime having come to life and it was a lot of fun it doesn't hold up on a second viewing because unfortunately there's not a lot of substance there. It just looks pretty. And there's some cool action and stuff like that. But once you've seen it and you you've know about it, it's like there's, there's not much there. There's no need to revisit it at all, um, which is fine, of course. Um, but the one thing that I really liked about it was how it looked and how some of the characters looked. And I know that's a bit weird and a bit dodgy considering with all the whitewashing and stuff like that but I like the way that Scarlett Johansson played the character she was a bit wooden she had a really peculiar walk and I assume it's because she is in a robotic body and she can't really walk like a normal human person at first I thought that was really weird and it did rub me the wrong way every now and then because it was just like a bit like mm, that's a bit too special but I mean, it was it was a brave choice, I guess, because she does come across as really bizarre. One of the dudes I really like is her sidekick, Bateau. Um, and yeah, I almost spoiled something. <laughs> he looks almost like in the anime. I really, even though it is a white dude, um, but he's really cool. He's a very impressive looking dude and something happens to him later. And I'm like, oh my God, this is how this happens. Um, and it, I thought it was really awesome. I liked how Kuze looks, even though he's not Japanese. Um, I didn't realize that Michael Pitt was in this film when I read his name on um, when, when all the credits start coming up, you know, at the start of the film, I'm like, Michael Carmen Pitt, who the fuck is he in this film? And he plays Kuze and I loved the look of his character. He's just so, he's just so disheveled and, and fucked up and you find out, 
you know what what happened to him and why he is the way he is and why he does what he does and it, within the confines of the film it makes perfect sense I think it, it worked for me um, I didn't really second-guess anything or I didn't really feel like delving too deep into anything because the film really I feel doesn't really encourage it it's a it's popcorn cinema that's what this is which is why I think when you say it's like an anime coming to life even though I've said that um, it doesn't really do it justice because I think an anime is never really popcorn cinema it's, it's always there's so many layers going on in anime which is why I like anime um, and here in the real-life adaptation that just doesn't work the, the one highlight absolutely other than his visuals is um, Takeshi Kitano He's the one dude who actually speaks Japanese in the film. That was awesome. He's subtitled the entire time. And it added something to the film because everyone understood him. So it's like they've, they've got something in their brains because everyone's augmented, right? So everyone understands this guy talking to them in Japanese, but everyone speaks back to him in English, um, including some other Asian dude. So I thought that was kind of cool. And his character, just like Aramaki, he plays Section 9 leader Aramaki, so basically everyone's boss, right? Um, and he doesn't look like the dude in the anime, but he 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 kind of gets um, they they got the gist of the character. He he looks slightly different, but he is just as soon as he appears, you're just who is this dude? He's kind of cool, he's awesome, and he gets his awesome moment later on. Actually, two or three moments. Um, I really really liked him. It's a shame that there are not many more. Japanese um, characters in this film like they don't even have to speak Japanese you don't need to put a lot of subtitles in there but you could have got some I don't know Asian Americans like Japanese Americans and, and put them in the film that would have been nice but overall this film looks fantastic it looks awesome especially in IMAX so if you get a chance to watch it in IMAX instead of standard 3D go and see it in IMAX if you can afford to because I sure as hell can't um, but it looked absolutely stunning. The 3D is great. Some of the scenes are fantastic. Like when, when um, Scarlett Johansson's character, she drops off um, the top of a skyscraper. Um, she's completely naked. Um, and then she goes into camouflage mode. And I'm not sure if that is explained to, or if that is obvious to people who are watching it, that that's the reason why she goes naked so that she can camouflage herself because she can't camouflage her clothing she can only camouflage her body um, which is a bit weird because later on in the film you're introduced to a bad guy I, I just did air quotes you're introduced to a bad guy that she fights with and it's a really cool looking scene it's like in the little like pond puddle puddle of water thing it looks fucking fantastic especially in 3d um, but yeah she, she has a bit of a fight with him but she runs after him right and this guy he manages to camouflage himself with clothing like he's wearing some kind of a trench coat or something and that basically makes him invisible and I'm like if if this dude and he doesn't look like he's rich or anything if he can fucking afford it why can't major afford this and she works for a highly government agency like they had they have like she she is a robot and she continuously um gets her body fixed every time that she fucks it up somehow during a mission and they fix her up all the time and that must be fucking expensive right but they can't give her this this camouflage trench coat so that was the that was the main gripe that i had with the film other than the whitewashing um 
it was like that makes no sense it's like how can this dude afford this if if like the special anti-terrorist team cannot like why don't they have this if this dude from the street just has it um there's some really cool scenes in there where she goes into like a strip club or something and she takes out people without having a gun or, or any kind of weapon and yeah when she when she drops off from the building that looks awesome the fight in in that pond area is really cool the they're just when she's created at the start of the film looks fa fucking fantastic and they have the spider tank fight from the animes in there as well and that there's just a lot of stuff from the anime like key components from the anime that are just in there um it is so fucking cool you even get someone with like the you know the fingers that spread apart so they can type really really quickly even that's in there so there's a lot of stuff in there that i think is absolutely awesome it looks stunning but it's a tiny bit superficial and lifeless, unfortunately. So it's more like it's it's a really pretty shell, but there's not much in it. Um, for me, that was enough for the first time that I watched it. I was thoroughly entertained from start to, to the end, even though a lot of stuff that happens throughout the film is so fucking predictable. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, the, the ginormous reveal later on is not a ginormous reveal because the way that they tell you is like, I saw this coming an hour ago. Um, it still worked. I still enjoyed it. Um, my mate who I was with, he he really liked it as well. Um, but like I said, when I watched it a second time, it really does not hold up. I mean, I, I usually don't include this when I sort of review a film. Um, because how often do you actually get a chance to, to watch a film a second time? But this time I did. And oh my god, it really doesn't hold up. And it looks like um, general audiences are not too... They're not too enamored with the film. Um, it's not a masterpiece, for sure, but um, I think it looks great. It, it really stunned me with its visuals when I watched it in IMAX. Maybe because it was right smack in my face. I felt like, is this what VR is like? Everything is like right in front of me. Um, so in, in the standard 3D, I didn't have that because we were sitting like good little people we are. We were sitting middle middle, so I'm not sure. Um, the AI component, like I said, from the original anime was, was dropped, which is unfortunate. But Ghost in the Shell is still about identity and individuality and who we are as humans. What, what makes us human? Is it, am I only human because I have a human body? Does it matter how much percentage of my biomass has been substituted for cybernetics? Um, and I think that's really interesting because we... And you also have people that want to stay pure, like someone who's like, no, I'm, I'm staying pure. I don't want anything to do with this connectivity bullshit. I'm human. I don't want any of this crap. And I think that's really interesting because when you think about where we are as a society, you know, we're so we're so connected. We want to be constantly connected. Like we all walk around with our fucking smartphones. We don't look at each other anymore. We just look at our fucking screens. And you have that in the film as well. It's like there's a dude when they're walking through the through the streets of the city. And it looks like he's wearing a fishbowl. I'm not entirely sure what the hell. But in front of this fishbowl, there's like some data, some stuff going across the screen. So he's clearly like checking his, his smartphone, but it's right in front of his eyes. So he still knows where he's going and he can see where he's going. He can see his surroundings, but shift of focus and he reads his you know smartphone whatever emails what whatever he was doing or watch a film or whatever right and i thought that was really interesting and i wish that the film would have delved a bit deeper into this because nowadays even though we are outside and we are 
we are kind of like sitting right next to each other, but we don't interact with each other. We don't even look at each other. We don't acknowledge each other anymore because we're also fucking glued to our screens. And I mean, I'm I'm the same, you know. When I'm when I'm on the tube, I don't look at it like look at other people. I'm I'm on my phone and I do shit on my phone. I love my smartphone. I can check my emails while I'm out. I don't have to wait until I'm home to check my laptop. Or I can check Twitter and Facebook and I can apply for jobs and and be connected and, you know, re always reachable, always connected. And it's a fucking curse when you think about it. Because we don't know how to shut it off anymore. I mean, I, I hear from people like uh, students, like teenagers, they don't get enough sleep because every time their phone vibrates in the middle of the night, they have to check it. They get hundreds of emails a day. They get so many notifications on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and fuck knows what else people are doing. Um, it's just fucking crazy. So they can't even get a good night's sleep. Like I check my phone a lot, but overnight when I'm sleeping, I'm fucking sleeping. I mean, I, I will check my phone for the time because I don't have a watch or a clock. So my, my time is on my phone. And then of course I will see notifications that have come in. And I think if there was something like really urgent, I could potentially go, oh my God, fuck shit. Mm, mm. But usually I don't really care about those kinds of things. It's like, I'm, when I'm sleeping, I'm fucking sleeping people. But because this is the society we're in. And I think, I mean, cyber enhancements were, we're already there. We have so many people that, you know, they've lost a limb and we give them like robotic prosthetics, which is fantastic. And they're getting better and better. So I don't think we're that far away from, you know, transplanting synthetic organs and, and stuff like that. Um, and it's almost like the, the film is an adaptation of the anime, but a dumbed down version, whereas it's been 20 years since the anime. You could have, and, and the world has changed in those 20 years. You could have made it even more prevalent and poignant to where we are in, in society nowadays. You could have really like driven a few points home, made it really relevant and interesting. And, and you can't ignore this because fucking hell people, this is right on our doorstep. But unfortunately the film didn't do that, which, which is a bit of a shame. But on the other hand, it, I still think it's a good adaptation of the anime to what I think they probably thought it was like, this is the westernized version that Western audiences would prefer. But maybe that, that was true like 10, 20 years ago, but audiences change. And nowadays the Eastern, like the Asian uh, audience is not that much different than the Western audience. We want, we want stuff that, you know, goes deeper. We want stuff that can be cerebral and yet entertaining. Um, we want stuff that asks and answers the really fucking tough questions. Um, we don't need stuff to be dubbed down for us anymore. I mean, some people still prefer it. I mean, you know, the Transformers movies do fucking exist, but every now and then you want something but more. And why couldn't this Ghost in the Shell have been more and more modern and more with the times, which is a bit unfortunate. But some of the stuff, like I said earlier, it, it does go into and there are some interesting aspects that it does bring up. It doesn't really talk about them, but it brings them up. And that, for that alone, I think the film is really interesting to see. One of the things I really loved about it was 
um, there is a dude that they they kind of uh, interrogate, and he was like um, not a mailman. He was a waste waste person, um, a waste collector. That's that's the word I was looking for. A waste person. He was a wasted person. No, he's a waste collector, um, and he was hacked by uh, Kuze, you know, the main um, antagonist, um, and he can't remember anything that they tell him that he's done and he has implanted memories of having a wife and a child that he in reality actually doesn't have and that it's so real to him like he looks at a photo and he's like this is my daughter and everyone else looks at a photo and it's just a photo of him but because of how he's been reprogrammed inside in his head by this hacker the wife and the daughter are so real real to him like they exist even though they've never existed and his feelings for them are real and they 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 shape him and he is so distraught that well he basically kills him, him himself that's not really a spoiler um it's it really it, it was really heavy it's like you know who are we really it's like if if, if that hacked data that false data is in my brain and it feels just as real as real data real memories real experiences what are we actually are we just data if you can just give me false memories it's, it's like going back to um like total recall and stuff you know with those implanted memories i find it really fascinating because it's like how does the brain work you know stuff that you think you remember and because you remember it, you know it's, it's true, right? I remember it, it's in my head. But is it actually true? If, you're, if your head, if your brain can get hacked, just like any fucking computer, how do you know what's even real? You can't even trust yourself anymore. And all of that stuff is there. And it's like, oh my God, I gotta talk about this. But the film never really delves into it too deep. And that is really a bloody shame. But overall, I think... Um, First of all, you know, Scarlett Johansson kicks some serious ass again, just like in Lucy. Can we have a fucking Black Widow film, please? Marvel, what's wrong with you? Um, Ghost in the Shell is a great actioner. It, it has a great science fiction setting. Uh, even though I'm still not sure what the city is called, I really don't remember. I think I read a review, someone was like, it's called Newport City. And I'm like, really? The second time I watched the film, I really looked. They never tell you what the city is called. There's never a sign anywhere, unless it's in kanji. I don't read Japanese. I've got no fucking clue. Um, but there's so many Asian extras that I thought, like from my first viewing, I was like, yeah, this is Neo Tokyo, right? But then I was like, oh, maybe it's not. I'm not entirely sure. It would be interesting to see because I've never really seen it. Not even the year, I think. Because usually they, like on IMDb and stuff, they will have a synopsis. But I don't think they really do for that. Not with the year and not with the location. Unless that's changed. Um, but I really liked um, Scarlett Johansson as, as the lead. Even though, of course, that is very controversial. I liked um, Pilu S. Beck, if that's how you say his name. The Danish dude who plays Bateau. He was awesome. Michael Pitt as the antagonist was great. Juliette Binoche, by the way, she's playing that doctor who, who deals with Scarlett Johansson's robotic body. Um, she doesn't really get much to do. Um, it's very limited, um, considering you have someone like Juliette Binoche in your film, which is a bit annoying. But who I really loved was Takeshi Kitano as Aramaki. He was fucking awesome. Really loved it. Um, overall, like I said, the main thing that the film has going for it is the visuals, which is why I would tell everyone to go and see it in IMAX. 
Um, otherwise, I think it's it's still you know it's still enjoyable. Like Mameda went to see it yesterday in standard 3D. She enjoyed it. Um, it's nothing to write home about, but it's enjoyable. You know, it's not wasted time or money. Um, overall, I I liked it the first time I watched it. I loved it from start to end, and the. The, the, the score, even though it's a different score than is in the anime, it feels very anime-like. Like the visuals feel very anime-like, the, the sounds, the, the score feels very anime-like. I really liked it. Um, and with that, I think I want to go into the spoiler section. So just you're aware of this. Spoilers for Ghost in the Shell right about now. Alright, so the main thing that happens in Ghost in the Shell is that Kuze and Major know each other. Um, Major has grown up, well grown up, it's, it's been a year since she had been put in this robotic body um, and the false memories that were implanted in her brain that she was rescued after a terrorist attack and her, her parents died is all bullshit. Um, she was someone who was taken by the authorities and uh, I think her body wasn't even, yeah, they basically yanked her brain out of her body. There wasn't anything wrong with her body. Um, same with Kuze. So Kuze used to be a dude called Hideo and Major used to be a lady called Motoko. And obviously we all know who Motoko Kusanagi is, right? Because Motoko Kusanagi is the protagonist of Ghost in the Shell, of the manga, of the anime, just not this real life adaptation. Why that is, fuck knows. You know, you really could have got that. There's so many great Asian actresses. And even if you want to get like Asian American actresses, there are a lot of them. You know, you, you could have really pick and choose, pick and choose. And you don't even need to take someone who is like totally unknown. Just, you know, the lady who's in, in, in Sense8, she's fantastic. Oh, oh, get Ming now. I know she's a bit older, but she still fucking kicks ass on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, and there, there's so many there. And what about Rinko Kikuchi and um, a lot of the names that I can't even think of. But there's so many out there. Uh, or maybe just give it to someone who we've never heard of before. You know, would have been amazing. Um, but I assume to get the financing for the film together, you needed a big star. Because uh, Rupert Sanders, who is the director of the film... No one fucking knows who the shit he is. Um, all he's done is um, Snow White and the Huntsman. I shit you not, I checked this dude's IMDb list. He's done what, two or three short films? And then immediately went to a big budget production of Snow White and the Huntsman with Christian Stewart. And from there he went to make Ghost in the Shell. Find me one female director who that happens to. Just one. And this happens to male directors all the fucking time. They, they haven't even made a feature on their own. And they be, they're being handed studio productions. But that's a whole nother discussion. Um, so Rupert Sanders, like I said, no one knows who the hell he is. Uh, which is why you can't really get a lot of funding for any of his projects, I would assume. Even though, well, Snow White must have had a lot of money. I don't know. Well, that had Kristen Stewart. There you go. Same thing. You have someone like Kristen Stewart and, and Hemsworth. On, uh, with the pro I, oh and Charlie Theron and then of course you get like what 100 200 million bam done and the director oh I've never directed a feature film oh fuck it it's fine it's not hard um, and this dude now made Ghost in the Shell and obviously Snow White and the Huntsman wasn't very successful but he's been handed Ghost in the Shell and 
without a big star, you're not gonna get the finances together to make a film like Ghost in the Shell. Like it's so visually heavy, and of course it's gonna be visually heavy. I, I mean, th there's now talks about you know adapting Akira, and I'm like, oh fucking hell, please don't screw that up. Um, everyone in Akira looks like they're fucking Asian, so there's no way to put a white dude in there. Um, but animes are very visually appealing they're very visual heavy so of course you need a lot of cgi and a lot of visuals and that that's why they're you know high production you know high production values right that's what you need that's why they're really high budgeted um and then you hand it to someone like rupert sanders and say all right fine uh so you needed someone with a big name and of course scarlett johansson is a very big name i mean she's she's part of the avengers for fuck's sake there you go um, but what, what basically happened, since we're in the spoiler section, not the rant section, well, the entire podcast is the rant section, there you go. Um, you, you have Motoko and Hideo, and they were taken by the forces, whatever, armed forces, police, and they end up with, I think, Julia Benoit's character, and they yank out their brains and put it in a fully robotic body because they wanted to see that, that that's the next generation soldier they wanted to create. And of course, you take some low life off the street that no one's gonna uh, miss. Um, and they tried it with Hideo, and it didn't work very well, which is why they sort of like, you know, threw him out like scrap metal. And they, they wanted to end him, but he somehow fled and he got really powerful and whatnot, which is why he turns into Kusei and he builds his own network. And, and he kind of wants to transcend his rubbish body. It's like he wants to live in the network, which is where the AI component would have come in, which would have been really fucking interesting, but they didn't do it. Um, and then Motoko was the first one where the uh, sinking of a human brain and a robotic body actually worked which is why she's the first of her kind. Hideo was before and he was a failure, right? And so you, of course, it's so obvious that that's where this is going and you find all of that out. And that makes the whitewashing in the film even worse because it's not just that they gave the job that is clearly for an Asian actress, they gave it to a white bread. No, they actually have an Asian actress playing Motoko Kusanagi in one scene and they force her brain out of her body so they don't have to use an Asian body and chuck it into a white woman's body. So the, the whitewashing procedure is part of the plot and in such a rubbishly cunting shit way, sorry about that, but I had to use the C word there. It is just mind boggling how really stupid that is. Like, I'm not even Asian and I'm so fucking offended by this. It is just so fucking bad. And I was just... You, you could have gone like, okay, if you hadn't included that in your fucking story, at least you could have gone like, oh man, I didn't know. Like this whitewashing thing, I wasn't aware of it. It's like, ah, oh, next time I'll do better. No, you included it in your fucking story. And then you handled it so badly that you made it ten times worse. And it's just so fucking bad. And you have some white bread dude talk to a white bread lady, calling her Motoko, and she calls him Hideo. And this is just everything that is fucking wrong with this entire idea. It is just so not cool. It is so not. And then, of course, you know, he, he gets killed. She gets saved. And what would have been awesome, just like in the anime, you know, when she, she gets saved, but she only gets saved because Batu got to her in time and pulled her 
brain out, I assume, and chucked her somehow into a different body. And the cool thing was that she was in the body of a child. It was so uneasy. You have a, like a, a grown-up brain in a child's body. And it was just so like, whoa. But that was what was so cool about it. But instead of the film going there, like, f fair enough, you have Scarlett Johansson for 99% of your film, right? But at the end, like the last scene, why didn't you put her into a different body? Why did you, at least for the last two minutes, put her in an Asian body? And then in your sequel, you can you can write the fucking wrong. That would have been that would have been sort of cool. But I didn't do it. They just managed to somehow repair her really fucked up body, and she still looked like jo uh, Scarlett Johansson. And I was like, ah, oh, why? So stupid. So fucking annoying. Other spoilers, uh, of course, Julia Binoche gets killed. Uh, the Batu guy, I loved it when he loses his eyes in an accident. Um, I always want to call him Motoko instead of Major. Major saves him, but he loses his eyesight. And then he gets like these, these little round coin-like thingies that you know from the anime in the manga. And he looks so awesome. He looks like Batu. It is so fucking cool. And I love the way that Michael Pitt looks, um, even though, of course, he's white. Um, but one of the things that they also bring up later on in the film is Motoko's mom. Like Scarlett Johansson, the last bit that Julia Binoche does is like, here, there's information about your... Uh, and then she dies. And then she, she goes to where the information is and she finds Motoko's mom and it's like, oh my god, that's your mother. Uh, you know, and, and if you haven't already figured it out by then, you don't know it then, it's like, I don't know what the hell is wrong with your brain. So it's, it's so predictable, it's so stupid, and they were trying to make it right, but they actually made it worse, and it's just like, really bad. And it makes it sound as if I really didn't like the film, but um, up until that point, I really liked it. I don't like the way that they handled this whole whitewashing. It made it even worse. We're yanking this Japanese woman's brain out and putting it into a white body. That's exactly what they've done with the entire film. They're taking the gist, they're taking the soul and trying to put it in a westernized body. And it's just bad. And it's not even westernized because like when you look at America, like you could have put it in a, in a black body, in, a, in an Asian American body, you could have put it in an Indian body, whatever. You know, it didn't have to be a white body, right? It could have been anything. Plus there's so many Asian Americans that you could put it into as well. So it's like, why did you miss that chance? But I think it's because the film would have never been made without a Scarlett Johansson um, being attached to it, which is unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Um, but I, I kind of have hope that, um, I mean, should the film be successful? It looks like it isn't. Like everyone is like vomiting all over this film. Like all the reviews are like, Bleh. and And I was like, I kind of like it, you know, I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it the first time I watched it. And yes, the whitewashing bit near the end, it really, it really rubbed me the wrong way. But I kind of, I kind of sort of knew that obviously the whitewashing was going to be a problem for me because I don't have a problem watching Asian heroes. I love anime, all of them are Asian heroes. Doesn't mean that I can't connect to them or can't, can't feel for them. Seriously, I watched The Jungle Book. I feel for an animal, man. It's like, of course I can feel for someone who doesn't look like me. It's still a human. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't get this whole problem. It's like, oh, it's going to be so problematic for Western audiences to, to identify with this character who is black or Asian or just not white. And it's like, that's bullshit. So I do hope that if there is a sequel, 
even though it looks like the film's gonna tank, um, that they're gonna find an excuse to put her in a different body. Like, there's no excuse to not be able to put her in, a, in an Asian body. And also just to make the general cast of the film a bit more diverse. Like, you had two Asian people in the Section 9 team, one of whom only spoke Japanese, the other one spoke English. Um, other than that, there's... Yeah, it was so fucking whitewashed, it was bad. Which which is very annoying. Yeah, they dropped all, like... One of the things I liked about the anime was the philosophical approach. They, they dropped that, they dropped the AI component. They dropped pretty much everything that was really fucking uh, fascinating about the anime. And just kept some of the visuals. And while that can be fun, especially in IMAX, the first time you see it, there's just not a lot of substance there, which is unfortunate. So everyone seems to be hating this film. I kind of liked it, but only when you watch it once. So there you go. Um, next, and I'm sorry that I'm running over. We're already at like 49 minutes. Lost City of Z. Now, as far as I know, everyone seems to be liking this film. People are raving about it. They're going, oh my God, it's a masterpiece. Best thing since sliced bread, blah, blah, blah. I watched it. I almost fell asleep. I was so bored with this film and considering that it's about exploration I'm like how does this happen so we are 1905 is when the film starts so the film spans about 20 years from 1905 to 1925 and you're following a guy and I can't even remember his bloody name because it was just so boring um, it's some dude in in the British army and the film starts out with them like riding on horses and they're trying to kill a deer and because he's the hero, he of course manages to kill the deer before everyone else. And everyone's like, oh my god, you're so amazing, you're so awesome. And then they go to some get-together of, I don't know, the posh elite or something. And everyone's like, oh, who shot the deer? Oh, it was that dude. Ah, oh, shall we invite him for dinner? Nah, not really, um, because his choice of ancestry is not the best. It's like, what the fuck do you mean, choice of ancestry? Sounds like an oxymoron, because it is an oxymoron, you moron. Choice of ancestry. Yeah, last time you can't choose your an ancestry, you fucker. Um, so yeah, he, he comes from the wrong line, which is why he's never gonna amount to much. And he wants to amount to a lot because he's married and his wife's expecting a child. And he's like, we have to do better than this. So he's trying to basically climb the ranks for a better life for himself and his wife and his kids. That's basically what the entire gist of the film is. And in order to do so, like he's trying to do this how, however he, he manages to do it. Um, and he was trying to do it with the deer. I don't know what's so fucking amazing about the deer. Um, next opportunity he gets is like the, what is it? The Royal Geographic Society or something. They have to, they've been hired to, to sort out a, um, a border dispute between, was it Brazil and Bolivia or something? Um, and they were like, oh, if you want to do that, you're probably going to be away from home for like a year or two. But there's going to be a lot of fish attached to this. So he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll go. His wife's like, well, honey, you do not. I'm pregnant. But okay, yeah, you need to go. So he buggers off to the Amazon. Um, and he's trying to, to sort stuff out. And he, me um, he meets um, Robert Patterson on the way. And together they... They basically check out the Amazon and, and, and they, they've got some like measuring equipment with them and they're trying to, I assume, do the stuff that they're actually there to do, even though that never really comes out. By the way, the, the lead is called Charlie Hunman, 
I've never heard of him before. I think he's been a few things that I've watched, but I've never really, I've never really picked up on him. Yeah, but Robert Pattinson plays the other dude, and the first time that he comes up, I think they're they're on um, like a sailing boat, not a sailing. Well, they're on some kind of like ship, um, in the bowels of the ship, and Pattinson, Pattinson shows up, and he's got this full-on beard, and I was like, who's this guy? Like he looks he looks really weird. And then after a while, I was like, hang on a minute. Oh my god, that's Patterson! I did not pick up on that at all. Oh, okay, Charlie Hanman, he's the dude from Sons of Anarchy and Pacific Rim. Alright, good to know. So yeah, um, Patterson uh, and Hanman together, they basically just go through the jungle and they meet all kinds of crazy scenarios. You know, they, they meet like a little... like um, a little opera outlet in the middle of the jungle and you have Franco Nero who is kind of residing over it like he's basically the gang leader and exploiting all the natives around him he's just sitting there in the middle of the jungle like wearing this this white suit and being awesome and it's just everything that's wrong with colonialism basically um, and Charlie Amman he's um, he's trying to find the source of the river I don't know why, because he's there to check like the border dispute, but he never really seems to be too bothered by this border. Instead, he's like, I don't give a shit. Um, we're just going to find the, the source of, of the river and we're doing some exploration there. So they're doing that, right? And they're hiring some, some local guide and some other few people and they're going up river and then there's more indigenous people and they're kind of like shooting bows and arrows at them. Um, well, they're shooting arrows at them with the bows as well, man. Um, and then one of the coolest things that kind of woke me up again happened is like someone fell off the raft into the river and apparently the river was full of piranhas. And I'm like, oh my god! It's like all of a sudden the guy is like really going like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! It's like, what do you mean? You're behind the raft. You're safe from the arrows. And then, like these little tiny fishes were were going at stuff, and I was like, uh oh, I'm not sure. That I'm, I mean, I can't see a lot of blood, but I think they might be piranhas. And then it goes on for like a minute or two, or maybe longer while they were still being shot by indigenous people in their arrows, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, there's a lot of blood in the water. Like, if there were sharks in the water, they would have now arrived. Um, and I was like, fuck, this guy fell into the river and the river's full of piranhas. Like, holy fucking shit. Um, but I think either either Hunman or Pattinson also fell into the water and they just came out and it's like, oh yeah, no biggie. So it's like, oh, you need to, you know, you're a red shirt, you have to die, I'm so sorry. So that was kind of cool, like, this dude just got eaten by piranhas. Um, so I was I was awake by then and uh, then they, they go further up river and they finally find like a waterfall or something um, they finally get to the river uh, to to the waterfall and Patterson gets out and and just goes like yeah we found it we found it he's just running through the water and I'm like has anyone checked it for piranhas like considering what just happened like five minutes ago what the fuck um, and then all of a sudden there's this ginormous cut from this tropical waterfall back to London and I'm like whoa did, did I just like fall asleep and maybe miss five or ten minutes or something? No, it's just literally BAM! Cut! And the heroic, what's his name, Percival Fawcett arrives back in London where apparently he probably telegraphed ahead because everyone knew that he had found the source of the river because I shit you not, there were hundreds and hundreds of people on the pier and when he came down by himself, because hero moment, 
um, everyone's like, "Yeah, you made it! You made it!" It was like it, it was like someone just won the the first world war or something, right? Spoiler: That's still coming up. And I was just like, "What? What? What the fuck? Like, what? Why is everyone so fucking elated because you found the source of a river?" Like, what, what's anyone else getting out of this? It was, like, crazy. But all of a sudden, he was, like, a mega hero. And everyone was listening to everything that he was saying. I was like, mate, I don't fucking get it. What the shit is going on? I really, really don't get it. Oh, by the way, the entire film is based on facts, by the way. I didn't know that the entire, f the entire film. I was like, is this based on facts? I'm not so sure. Never heard of it. But it basically is a biopic issue. It's about this dude. And all through his life, people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're full of shit with your lost city of Z. And uh, because now, obviously, he comes home and he talks to, like, the Geographic Society about his findings. And near where they were with the waterfall and stuff, he found, like, some pots and pans and whatever, some 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 crookery. Uh, is that how you say crookery? 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 Well, you know, some vases and shit. Um... And he was like, well, they're out here in the jungle. There must be a civilization there. And he'd heard from the guide, yeah, there is this city of gold and maize and like a ginormous civilization that no one's ever found, yada, yada, yada. So he's he's hooked on this idea of trying to find a lost civilization, which, you know, I kind of get. You want to make a name for yourself. You want to find something that no one's ever found before. And I mean, like I said, this is in 1905 or something. Or maybe by then it's 1906. And... The, the world has been discovered, right? There's not a lot left to discover. It's not like you just sail to the Americas and you are in uncharted territory. That doesn't exist anymore. We've, we've cataloged everything, you know? Um, so he was like, oh my God, there's this lost civilization. I'm gonna go and fucking find it. I'm exploring it. It's fantastic. And he goes back... Um, for a second time this time everyone's like oh yeah you're gonna find it and you know it's gonna be epic and blah 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 so he, he finds Patterson and they go back um, and they, they try to go back to um, to the source of the river and find the civilization again um, this time there because he's now a, a more highly prolific person he he'd met a dude called Murray who also is like an explorer and um, I think he's rich and he's highly prestigious and stuff in London. He's like, yeah, let's do this together, you know. Um, together we're, we're going to find this lost city of Z that, you know, uh, uh, Fawcett coined it the lost city of Z because Z, he thinks it's the last thing of, of mankind that we've not explored yet. Um, that's why he calls it Z because it's the last letter in the alphabet. So they go back there and they basically like tracking back to everywhere everywhere where they were previously um, and of course sooner or later you know shit hits the fan and this Murray guy as is usually the case is like oh he's highly prestigious and, and, and revered and shit in London but he's actually not really good at what he does you know he's, he's a big mouth and nothing much to back it up so he's a liability and as you can tell it, sooner or later of course it all boils down to him causing more harm than he's good for. He's basically good for nothing. They're just dragging his fat ass around. And it all boils down to them. Um, basically, he, Murray's been wounded really badly. So they kind of have to stop their expedition and get him to a doctor or abandon him and continue the expedition. And of course, you know, Fawcett is like, mate, here, 
there's shitloads of supplies here. You can have our last horse. Where this horse came from all of a sudden, I have no clue, considering they've been traveling on a raft and there was no fucking horse on the raft. If someone can explain that to me, that'd be fucking fantastic. But all of a sudden, miraculously, there's this unicorn, I mean horse. And they give it to, to Mare, even though the entire time I'm like, Fawcett, are you an idiot? I know you're blonde, but what the fuck's wrong with you? If this guy lives and makes it back to London, he's gonna make your life a living hell. Spoiler alert, guess what happens? The dude lives and he makes it back to London and he makes Fawcett's life a living hell. Oh, sorry, I'm just making a shock face. You can't tell. Um, and I was just like, what the fuck, man? You should have, like, seriously, take your knife out and cut his throat. You're in the middle of the jungle. No one would have ever found out. The other two people that were with you there, they wanted to fucking gut him themselves. Just fucking kill the fucker. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Is, that, is it because you're supposed to be goody goody two shoes? You're the hero. You don't do bad things. Oh, fuck off already. I was like, I would have fucking gutted that, that idiot. Um, uh, so yeah, later on, of course, he, he causes issues. And because he is a stupid asshole, he poured some kind of oil. I have no idea where all of a sudden he has all this weird oil from. He poured all the oil over the remaining supplies that were supposed to stay with the group, but rendering those supplies utterly useless, which is why the group had to abandon the rest of the expedition. So basically, they send Murray off with shitloads of supplies and the last horse, only to discover a few hours later that he wasted all the remaining supplies and they were basically gonna starve to death unless they immediately backtrack and even then they might not make it because all of a sudden you're out of food and you're in the middle of fucking nowhere so of course what happens is you meet again in London there's Mary I mean that, that's supposed to be a, a surprise I guess but it's so fucking predictable of course he's gonna be there come on and then of course he's like oh, no, no, bad mouthing him and that person's bad mouthing them and it's just like me 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 he said she said Meow. and and then nothing happens it was like literally nothing happens oh my lawyers and you need to apologize and blah and then you need to apologize to me in front of your wife and yes I will do that just so you finally shut your fuck up and no I'm actually you know what I've now had it I'm just getting up from this table I'm, I'm actually doing finger puppets not that anyone can see uh, I'm actually getting up from this table because I fucking had enough of you and this entire society I'm getting up and you too, you can come with me because you're awesome, but you are all a bunch of fuckwits. And then he Fawcett basically just walks out of the room and that's that and nothing ever happens again. Nothing ever comes of this ever again. I was like, why was this even in here? Like the, the film is what, 140 minutes? I can't remember. It felt like, seriously, one of my mates, she, she doesn't like, um, she doesn't like Lord of the Rings. Among other things, I think because they're like three hours long. But this film, it felt like it was four hours long. Like I watched Ben-Hur and, and stuff like that. Four hour epics, I have no problem with. This film is an hour and, uh, an hour and 40 minutes. It's 140 minutes. And I just wanted it to end. It was so bad. And like I said, there's shit, there's shit in there that I was like, fucking hell, cut it out. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't add to the film. And do you know why that is? why it's in the film because it's a fucking biopic and if you've ever listened to me rant about films before you know what I think of biopics and what the worst problem is that biopics have the fucking checklisty problem there are 
important events that have to be included in the biopic because it's a fucking biopic and it's based on a real person based on real events and all of these events need to be in there because otherwise they feel that they're that they're omitting stuff but trying to make a fluid narrative out of certain events doesn't always work and that's exactly the problem that i had with the lost city of z it felt like it had to go from a to b to c to d to e and then to F, where they finally fucked off. Um, it was just so fucking bad. It was jumping from event to event. It was totally disjointed, like I said, for, like they did the first excursion to the Amazon, then all of a sudden, BAM! Cut! We're back in London. And it's like, why are you showing me some other shit that takes up time, but you're going BAM! Cut! Back to London. Why don't you use this in places where it would actually make fucking sense? Because this is just fucking tedious and boring. Just like this Murray stuff, is like, um, just for expediency's sake, fucking kill him. You know, if he had, if it, if he, he had fucked off on, on on the horse with the supplies, and you never hear from him again, we would have all gone, oh yeah, the jungle killed him, the indigenous people killed him, a, a snake ate him, all kinds of shit could happen to him. Doesn't matter. He he got what he deserved because he was a fucker, right? But no, he had to come back. You have all the shit in London, which doesn't doesn't add anything to the film. Other than Fawcett going, fuck you, Royal Geographic Society, I'm doing my own shit. Because obviously he returned after the second expedition. It was a failure because of Murray. And now no one looks at him as a hero. And he was like, oh, well, mm, I kind of want to go back because I really want to want to get to the, the city of Zed. Um, and then it really inconvenient shit happens. Like the First World War happens. And of course he needs to sign up because that's his duty. And then you, you see him... Like going through the First World War and he's stationed or he could ask, he asked to be stationed with the two people that he was in the Amazon with, one of whom is Pattinson and the other guy I can't remember. So those three basically went through the war together. And once the war is over, he wants to go back to the Amazon. By that time, we're basically in like 1920, sort of. Um, his his boy, his, his oldest son, has sort of grown up and he's now also going like oh this was my dad's passion and I kind of want to do this now because I can actually do it with my dad like not inst instead of my dad but with my dad and Pattinson goes like mate I'm, I'm married now I've got children of my own I really can't go back to the Amazon what if I die and it's like I, you know this is just like I'm over this now it's not a passion for me I've got a life here now that I'm not willing to risk so he goes back a third time this time with his teenage son and it's it's this whole like um you know passing it on to the next generation kind of a thing and i think this this is this might be why it really resonates very very well with um, male viewers um especially um like middle-aged male viewers because this whole thing of Doing something like this that's, that's really important to you, you're passionate about it, and doing that together with your son, your own son, passing the mantle over to your own son, you know, and him having the same passion as you is, is this generational thing. Now, someone had to mention this to me because I didn't even fucking pick up on this. I was just so bored by it. Um, and they, they, they backtrack, or not backtrack, but they, they go through 
like all the the sections that he had gone through on his first and his second expedition and he shows his son and he comes back to this section where he met with Franco Nero um, like with the, the this like opera thing in the middle of the jungle and that's been completely abandoned by now I mean it's been like what 15 years and it's just it was interesting to see you know how time changes things and someone in the film even says nature is is um, uh, what's the word nature is taking over again is recalling its 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 territory you know um, and I thought that was that was great and um, the uh, Fawcett had met had met with some with an indigenous tribe of cannibals uh, that was a very interesting encounter because I was like, what if they get eaten up by cannibals? Awesome. This is when Murray just like totally like got fucked in the head. He was like, oh my God. Um, but it was really interesting because um, I'm not sure if they were cannibals in general because they mention in the film that they eat their own because that is how they deal with death. To make sure this person isn't forgotten and is remembered by everyone, everyone has a bite of that person and ingests them, which I think from a certain point of view that makes sense, right? So I thought that was really interesting. They meet them again and then they get into like a whole tribal war thing as well, which is fantastic. But the end of it all, um, and that's not really a spoiler, is that uh, of course it's going to be an open end. Um, you you're not really finding out what happens with the father and the son uh, the mother keeps waiting um, I kind of like that actually I really like the ending um, I think it's like 1925 and they're they're still she's still waiting for them um, no they left they left in 1925 and she was waiting for them until the day that she died they never heard from them again and you never know exactly what happened to them. Did they find the lost city of Zed or, or were they killed? Or were they just living with the Indians there? You, you never know because no one ever really finds out. And I really love that about the film. Um, because it is because it is open-ended you can make up your own mind it's like how how do you see it you know a negative person will go so oh yeah of course they were killed they were probably eaten by the cannibals and someone pessimistic oh, optimistic um would probably go like no they probably found it and it was that awesome that they fucking stayed there and they were like oh screw the mother and the wife <laughs> you know um so i like the ending but i think the film i really would have liked the film if it was more concise if it was trimmed down, if they really trimmed the fat. Um, I like exploration things, but this one just wasn't very interesting and I was really surprised by that. I mean, to be fair, when I saw the trailer, I was like, I'm either gonna love this film or I'm really not gonna like it at all. And I, I'm kind of with the latter, unfortunately. I didn't really enjoy it. I thought it was very tedious and boring. One of my mates, I talked to him a few days later, he really loved it. And it looks like the general consensus for the film is that it's fucking fantastic. I was not very entertained by it. I thought it was very disjointed. It was very, like I say, it was very boring. It was tedious to walk through. I felt like I was walking with them there, but not as in it's, it's interesting to explore stuff, but I feel like I could be dying any second. It's so boring. It's so tedious. We're just walking, 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 and nothing ever happens. Um, but the story, I think, is not necessarily about exploration it's more about self-exploration because the character of Fawcett the protagonist 
once he went through the First World War particularly, his entire demeanor and the way that he thinks about things had changed. If his son hadn't approached him to look for Zed again, I don't think he would have even bothered. He would have been been okay and satisfied with the life that he had with his wife and his two sons and his daughter. Um, just basic, I, I assume basically just being happy to having lived through the craziness of the First World War. And I, I kind of like that he realized what's important and it's all about like faith and beliefs and self-exploration. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but some bits, um, like I said, I thought it was a bit tedious and lengthy and it has a lot of pacing issues. Um, but what also really annoyed me was that a lot of the bits in there were so forced. Just like when he came back after the first exploration and everyone was like, Yay! Oh my god, you're our greatest hero ever! And there was like hundreds of people greeting him when he stepped off the boat. And I'm like, really? And he came back two years after he left. And his boy must have been like, what, four or something when he left? And then the son apparently couldn't remember his dad. It's like, are you my dad? It's like, you weren't that tiny when your dad left. That's just so fucking weird. You're just trying to put something in there, some kind of conflict that was like, oh my God, his son totally forgot who he was. Oh, the sacrifice this man is making. I was like, this is just so forced and bullshit. I really hated it. I, if I had had a bucket, I would have probably thrown up in it. That was so bad. And I think that that's, maybe that's why I didn't really like the film as much because the script just didn't feel true to me it felt very contrived and that's funny when you think about that i loved ghost in the shell because ghost in the shell is soulless lifeless but it looks nice and it's entertaining whereas zed basically is brimming with life and soul but for whatever reason it just didn't really connect with me um i was yeah i i, I was just not having it and there's a bit in the film as well where Sienna Miller, she plays his wife, um, she wants to go with him. I think the second time he goes, you know, when he goes with Murray, and he's going on and on about how she wouldn't be able to handle it. And, you know, he can do it because he had had soldiers training. And she goes on, it's like, what do you mean I can't handle it? What the pain and the exhaustion? I've given birth to two children. That pain is worse than anything a man ever has to endure. But you think I can't handle it. And it's this whole thing. But it's because of also the time it's taking place. And obviously um, that was before the First World War. And it's like you wouldn't put a woman through that. Like even 50 years later you probably wouldn't put a woman through that. Um, and then what really annoyed me is like once he returns after you know the Murray debacle and stuff. And he returns basically not a hero. Um, his lack of faith in her is completely forgotten and she's just like, oh my god, honey, I'm so glad you're back. Oh, by the way, I have another baby for you. Hi, this is your daughter so-and-so. And I'm like, he basically impregnates her, fucks off, comes back a few years later and goes, like, oh, here's a new son. Here's a new daughter. Here's a blah. And it's like, oh, just fuck off. It was just, oh. The way I described it to a mate is like, this was a film that would just never end. This is what some people think of the, the third Lord of the Rings with like the seven endings. It's like, oh, it just doesn't end. It's not, oh, it's not done ending yet. Oh, it's not quite finished yet. Oh, we're still not fully finished yet. That's kind of what that film was. Um, I just wanted it to end. Like the first expedition I thought was really cool and I was really with it. 
once they find the source of the of the river and then all of a sudden bam we're back in london and now we have to have this conversation about how i think there's this other civilization out there rah, rah, rah. and i'm just like oh my god why can't it just be about exploration because you basically just go back three times to the same shit and it's not easy to make that interesting and for whatever reason it just wasn't interesting to me and like i said this is the contrarian episode people hate ghost in the shell i loved it people love the lost city of zed i kind of didn't like it and on that note let's go back to uh let's go back let's start talking about smurfs the last village uh now i went to see this about two weeks ago um I had to step in for a reviewer there um, and I think it came out today or maybe yesterday the Smurfs oh my god I grew up with the Smurfs like I still remember that TV show when I was a little kid with like Papa Smurf and Hefty Smurf and Clumsy Smurf and Brainy Smurf and, and Grumpy Smurf and ah oh, I loved it it was just so cute and 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 positive and optimistic and you had Gargamel and his horrible tower with the like the, the 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 lightning and everything and you had Azrael the horrible cat and those two were my favorites of course they were I love the villains um, and I was like I, I love the Smurfs but when I was told that I was gonna watch the Smurfs I was like oh god because I've seen the 2011 film that they did and I hated it the Smurfs in the real world I was like seriously what trippy drugs were you on that you thought that was a good idea what the fuck was up with that I hated that so much that I didn't even get to see the 2013 sequel or second one or whatever it was so when I was told to watch this I was like oh my god this is not gonna be pretty but it was so much fun it was so awesome I mean seriously just like when the film starts and you're introduced to like Smurf Village um, and there's there's like brainy and clumsy and hefty and jokey and vanity and baker and farmer and and some smurfs I never even heard of before like the table biter and and there's some scuba smurf and and all of that it was just awesome and then it all ends on it all ends on smurfette and I was like oh yeah smurfette and she's like oh everyone's everyone's got their thing that they're good at but I don't have anything that I'm good at and she tries out all these all the other things that all the other Smurfs are doing and she's like I'm just not I'm just not good at it like this is what you get like she's trying to bake a cake I was like oh this is not how you bake a cake she's trying to be handy um, and uh, and she's trying to do like working out like like hefty and stuff and it's just like no it's not working um, and they're trying to figure out what she's what she's good at and while they're doing that, they kind of end up in Gargamel's lair because um, him and Azrael um, manage to catch Smurfette and Clumsy and Hefty and Brainy. Um, and they have to, they basically have to try and get out of there, but trying to get out of Gargamel's lair. And anything, like all the scenes with Gargamel and Azrael are fucking fantastic. I love those two. Like, um, Rain Wilson voices Gargamel and Frank Welker does Azrael. And Azrael is like the brains of the whole thing. Like It's, it's like Pinky in the brain and Gargamel clearly is not the brain. Um, but while they're there, they kind of find out that um, like Gargamel's cauldron is like telling him that there's the last 
city, the lost village of Smurf somewhere in the Forbidden Forest. And I was like, oh my god. So Smurfette finds out. There's like, oh my god, there's, there's, there's a lost village? That's crazy. And she'd come across someone who was about the size of a Smurf earlier, but was wearing a mask. And I was like, hey, wait, where did you go? And he went through like the tiny little wall that is sectioning off the Forbidden Forest from everywhere else. Um, and while they're escaping Gargamel and Azrael, they come across this map that where they have to go in the Forbidden Forest. So they they go say, oh yeah okay we have to we have to go and warn them because otherwise Gargamel and Asriel are gonna get them. So they sneak out like they go back to the village, but uh, Papa Smurf is like you're not allowed to go. You see what happens when you leave the village? You end up in Gargamel's lair. And then they sneak out as as a good kid does, right? And they go to the Forbidden Forest and try to find the lost uh, village of the Smurfs before Gargamel and Asriel do, so they can warn their cousins basically, and. What I really liked about this film, and I love this film. Um, I mean, like I said, I love the Smurfs, and this film is like the the Smurfs TV series that I was watching as a kid. I really love that um, because this one, I mean, it is fully 3D computer animated, so there's no real world bullshit, not, no humans in there. This is a full-on animated film, and you you have great voice actors in there. And it's so much fun just to be reintroduced to the Smurfs, like all the different ones that you already know, all the ones that I wasn't even aware of. I'm not sure if they made up a few new ones, I have no idea. But it's just so much fun to just go like, oh, this is that person, this is that person, bam, 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 bam. There's like, I don't know, 20 or so Smurfs that you're getting introduced to. And it's just so fun and they're just all so interesting in their own regard like they they found their it's it's like they each found their passion or what they were good at and that is what they're named after and that's why they're living such a happy life because all they do day in and day out is what they love you know that the baker he loves baking and he does it from start of the day to finishing of the day this is what he does same with the farmer same with the scuba diver and you know all of that and that's why they're such a happy bunch. And it's just so much fun. And then you have Smurfette and she's like, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing because I mean, she's not even a real Smurf, right? She was made by Gargamel out of a, like a lump of clay. So, and, and that adds a whole nother layer to this entire thing because she's not a real Smurf. So she's a bit of a, they made her a Smurf. She's an artificial Smurf. And yet she's just as much of a Smurf as everyone else, right? Deep down. And I think that is just really interesting when you when you look for representation. Because not just that she's just the girl, that seems to be what she is. She's the one girl among a hundred boys or something. Um, and, and that's her trait. She's the other sex. She's she's the girl. Everyone else is a boy, but they have more differentiation. They're they're all boys, so they had to differentiate further. So it, it was just like Smurfette has to have something that she's really good at and that's kind of what you you find out in the film that's what I really liked about it um, it's a bit of a girl power Smurf film because this Smurfs the Lost Village is about Smurfette and her trying to find out who she is and what she's there for what's her purpose in life why is she here and obviously because she was created by an evil wizard that doesn't really help you feel good about yourself does it um 
because you have Brainy who's smart and you're clumsy and he's well, you know, he's clumsy, right? And he's one of my favorites. And you have to he's strong and Jokey's funny, or at least he thinks he's funny. And no one really knows what, what's going on about Smurfette. And so throughout the film, you basically go on a journey of self-discovery with her, just like you do in like a lot of animated films as of late, you know, like Moana and stuff. It's, it's this whole thing about female heroes and trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be and how to grow up in this world that they live in. And, and, they, and, and they go on a journey, usually aided by a few friends, and they, they face some near impossible obstacles and see some wondrous miracles along the way, you know, the good and the bad. And they overcome it all until they get to, to the end of the journey and they finally realize it's like, this is who I am, you know? Um, and there's, there's obviously for Smurfs, there's also a huge spoiler section that I'm going to be start talking about later. Um, but I think it's just, it's really cute. The, the animation is cute. There, there's a lot of like, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, Clumsy is one of our heroes in this. So there's a lot of slapstick comedy in that. Um, I mean, I, I was quite lucky because my favorite Smurfs were kind of the favorites in this film. You have Brainy, Clumsy and Hefty and Smurfette. Um, and the only one that I also like is Grouchy. Um, and it's really funny when you see Smurfette trying to out-grouch Grouchy. It's like, <laughs> she's just too much of a sunshine. And it's just it's just hilarious to see it. It's like, no one grouches as good as Grouchy does, right? Um, and it's the same with everything. Every Everything that she tries. Obviously, the person who, who has already been named after that trait, it will be better at it than she will ever be. So she has to find out her own thing. And I like it. Because um, just like The Lost City of Zed is about self-exploration more than it is about the exploration of the Amazon, Smurfs is about self-exploration and, and realizing who you are. And it's usually through obstacles that we find out who we really are and what we're made of. So when they go into the Forbidden Forest and all of a sudden there's like Smurf-eating plants and, you know, like Venus flytraps and stuff. And you have glowing bunny rabbits and... and, and fire-breathing dragonflies and and stuff like that and it's just it's just so awesome everything that you see and it's so colorful and and vibrant and but but also hiding dangers and wow this is so cute oh my god this is so dangerous um it's it's just really nice it's 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 a tale of exploration not just yourself but also the world and just keeping an open mind and i love that and one of the things i never really thought about when i was younger obviously um is that when they mention that Smurfette is made of um, clay, I was like, oh my God, you know what? I, I mean, I, I'm not uh, transgendered, but I was like, well, you know, she got made out of something that she wasn't, sort of. It's like, what, what if you kind of go, it's like, well, she was artificially made into something that is her true self, the Smurfette. It's almost like a transgender person when after reassignment surgery, when, when they truly are on the outside, what they are on the inside. And I mean, I might be reaching there, I don't know, but it, it really hit me over the head with it. And I was like, I wonder if people see it like that, or maybe that's just me, I don't know. But I thought it was, it was really, it was really great. It was a lot of fun to watch it. Uh, it's very entertaining. There are also um, a lot of action sequences, you know, this is the 21st century, right? So the Smurfs are not just the Smurfs as we know them like 
30, 40 years ago. They do they do all kinds of things. There's the smurfboarding, which I thought was like, what is the surfboarding, but for smurfs. Um, they, ha- they are on a river in the Forbidden Forest and they do some whitewater rafting. And of course they're good ones. So they, they once Gargamel and Azrael are almost drowning, they kind of save them because that's what smurfs do. We leave no one behind and we save everybody. And then, like I said, someone's, um, and there, you have Clumsy riding a fire-breathing dragonfly, which is kind of cool. And it's, it's just, th- there are just bits in, in this film that are just so hilarious. It's like Clumsy, for whatever reason, ends up stealing by accident an egg from one of the dragonflies. And obviously she's not having that and she goes after him. And she's got friends who also go after him. And he's trying to give back that egg and he throws it behind him and yet shit happens and it always ends up back in his hand. And it's just like, I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm sorry. It's it's hilarious. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I, I love the film from start to end. Um, I think maybe you need to be a Smurfs fan to really appreciate it. My mate who I went with, he loved it even more than me. He was like, oh, certain things happen throughout the film. And he like had a loud reaction to it. So, oh, oh, laughing, clapping. And then later on, there's a bit of a tearjerker happening. And I could, I could hear him going, oh, no. Like the kids around us were totally quiet throughout the entire film. But he was like, yay, mm, awesome, yay. And I was like, oh, oh no, no. And I, was like, oh, and I was like, oh my god, I'm trying to keep my tears back. It's like, stop it already. Um, but th- there is a tearjerker happening near the end. I'm going to talk more about that in spoilers. But it's it's perfectly fine for the littlest of the little kids to watch it. Because there's nothing offensive. Even the tearjerker, you know, it resolves itself. Of course it does. It, the film is a smurf film. It has a happy end. It is really, really cool. I really loved it. I also really like that... Um, clumsy kind of had to overcome his clumsiness like he learned to live with his clumsiness i mean of course he he lives with his clumsiness but he kind of he sort of turned it into a strength by him being so clumsy he learns to ride a dragonfly um and him being so clumsy makes for very erratic movements which kind of like outsmarted his enemies and that's kind of what made him really successful at what he was trying to do and i thought that was really cool that you're special power or your curse however you look at it it's always something positive you just need to learn how to use it and i really love that and i also like that um the film kind of shows you that it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or girl it doesn't your gender doesn't matter you can do whatever you want to do don't feel like you should be hindered by your sex or your body at all it it's it doesn't really matter at all and it's a powerful message and I think that's a great message for the film to have. Uh, the voice acting is fantastic. I really liked it. Don't look up anything online before you go and see it because that's a huge spoiler. I've seen a lot of reviews have spoiled, like I thought the third act, but maybe it's somewhere in the second act already. It's very predictable that this will happen, but I still think that this is a huge spoiler because some people might not have known. Um, so I'm, I, I, I'm going to talk about that in the spoiler section. But overall, the highlights for me was was clumsy and Smurfette, of course. But yeah, I really like Gargamel and Azrael. They were, them 
together as a team the bickering between them like Azrael is clearly the brains and Gargamel never really gets it and Azrael is like oh come on you're not paying attention not that he actually says that but you know what I mean it really reminded me of the old cartoon series that I grew up with they really captured those two really well I think they captured everyone pretty well but especially in regards to the voice actors these two were my absolute highlights they, they were among my favorites in the original cartoon series and they were immediately my favorites in this film um, all the Gargamel and Azrael stuff is really entertaining um, and there's a lot of fun there. It's, it's over the top and sometimes I think a lot of grown-ups didn't like the film because it is so over the top. It's really for a small child. But for whatever reason, I, I felt like I was a small child again and I really fucking enjoyed this from start to finish. It was so much fun to watch. You can take, like I said, the, the smallest child that you have, you can take them into this. And there's nothing offensive or worrisome about the film. There are no horrific images that might give them nightmares. Everything is like really joyful and, 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 and vibrant and, and has a great message. This is one of the few films that even without watching it, you can just put your kids in, in front of it, no matter their age, and you're, you're going to be fine. It's absolutely fantastic. I really loved it. Um, I think it's it's for young and old because I'm I'm older, and I thoroughly enjoyed this. And a lot of the young kids enjoyed this. My mate is also a bit older, and he enjoyed it as well. Maybe you need to be a Smurfs fan. Maybe you need to have grown up with it to be able to appreciate it. If the first time you've ever seen Smurfs was the 2011 film. This might not be for you because the film's very different. This is more akin to the original Smurfs. Now, if you never liked the original Smurfs, you're not going to like this film. It's it's obviously it's very uh, it's a very simplified story. The characters are very simplified, but what I loved about what the creators of the film were trying to do is to really bring it into the 21st century, like giving more meaning to Smurfette. Um, because when you when you look at it, it's like Smurfette. She she looks very, very archaic gender roles in this film. Um, like all the boys have all these different traits, blah blah blah. And then you have Smurfette, and she's basically just a girl. And the only way that you know it is because she's got long hair, she wears a dress and heels. She's wearing heels. She lives in a forest, but she's wearing heels, right? That's because she's the girl. And this is just such an archaic way of looking at gender roles. It's almost offensive. And it feels like this film was made to bring the Smurfs into the 21st century. And I applaud the writers and I applaud the director for it. You can tell that women were writing this. And that's a good thing. Because for whatever reason, a lot of men think it's really hard to write women. Except when you're Joss Whedon. Because Joss is always like, you don't need to be a woman to write a woman. Because you know what? A woman's just a human, like a man. They don't need to be written any differently. And that's the secret. And Smurfs is fantastic. I'm going to start talking about the uh, spoiler section right now. Um, podcast getting very long, I'm sorry. So in the spoiler section for Smurfs is basically what a lot of reviews have already been talking about. And that is that the lost village of the Smurfs is occupied by only girls. So it's the proper um, counterpoint counterweight to Smurf Village where there's only men so there's Papa Smurf and like a hundred Smurfs or something and in the uh, Lost Village you have Mama Smurf, no Smurf Willow she's called and I, she's voiced by Julia Roberts 
So that's really hard, of course, to keep voice talent like that back. It's like Julia Roberts and um, who else is there? Um, not Michelle Monaghan, uh, Michelle Rodriguez and a few others. And I'm like, hang on a minute. You know, if you know that, that all of a sudden there are so many female voices attached to the project, of course, you're going to know who the Lost Village is occupied of. Yeah. And I thought that was a huge spoiler. And I thought that was horrendous of pretty much every single review I've read mentions this, that the Lost Village consists only of women. And I think it's a huge spoiler. It's obviously very predictable. Uh, once you've watched like the first half hour, it's like, oh yeah, this is where we're going. But I still think it's a huge ass spoiler. This should not be in a review. Not, not like, obviously I'm spoiling the shit out of films while I watch, um, while I watch, uh, blah, not watch, while I talk about them. That's it. Yeah. No longer English. No. Um, I mean, I sometimes spoil a lot of stuff, even without a spoiler warning. I do apologize, but I'm not like this podcast is not like proper journalism, is it? But if someone like the Hollywood Reporter or just I, I can't remember whether they spoil it or not, but or, or another proper outlet is spoiling that in their official review of the film, I think that's outrageous um, because it's so much fun to experience that when they finally reveal this is another girl oh my god they're all girls and then they are introduced and what they do and how and who they are and how they function and smurfette is basically like oh my god there's so many other girls they all kind of look alike just like the smurfs in smurf village and obviously smurfette looks very different because she was created by human um but she basically just walks into a tribe of amazons they all can ride dragonflies and shoot bow and arrow and they teach her how to do things and all of a sudden it's like oh look i'm such a badass person it's like yeah do you know what because you've always been a badass person that is who you are and i thought that was absolutely fantastic and um of course gargamel and Azrael they show up and there's going to be a fight which is where this whole dragonfly thing comes in again and I'm, i don't want to spoil too much but i thought it was absolutely fantastic to have because one of the things I always thought is like, why are the Smurfs all male? And then Gargamel goes, oh, and there's a girl. And all the boys go, oh, it's a girl. Shower her with attention. And for the rest of the series, it's always just been one girl. It's like it's a quota thing. Oh, we have to have one girl, boys. Come on, just let that one girl into the club. Um, and then the counterpoint is that why there, while there is a village consisting just of males, of course there's also going to be a village just consisting of girls. And if someone can tell me what the human equivalent of that is, I will be moving. Um, so I thought that was really cool and how capable they were. Um, and they, even though they were very different, they all kind of had like a common denominator of skills, which I thought was really cool. It was like, oh my God, we're bringing out the Smurfs film. A few months before Wonder Woman hits, BAM! Let's have a tribe of Wonder Woman Smurfs. That's kind of what it was like. And it was awesome and it was a lot of fun. And then, like I said, there was a tearjerker near the end. Um, in order to save everyone, Smurfette has to, uh, has to sacrifice herself. And so at the end of the film, she sacrifices her energy and she turns back into this lump of clay that's just lying there. 
and everyone's just like gathering around her and sort of like doing a wake or a funeral and I was just like oh my god I almost lost my shit like I almost sobbed uncontrollably like a cartoon character like literally I almost went like <laughs> but you can't really do that as a grown-up amongst pretty much only children in the cinema so I was like okay just keep it in <laughs> just keep keep it in it's, it's gonna be okay and right next to me my baby was like oh no oh no and I was like oh shit he's losing his shit if he loses his shit I'm gonna be losing my shit what am I gonna do then and, uh, it was all good because of course this is the Smurfs and it has a happy ending so everyone bands together and the collective energy just brings Smurfette back out of the lump of clay and it's awesome and everyone's like enjoying it and then there's a dance-off because there's like so many girls and it's like yay and Demi Lovato voices Smurfette and then there's gonna be music and there's gonna be dancing and there's gonna be credits and then BAM and that was it and that was the Smurfs and I thought it was fantastic and I kind of want to go back to watching the old series because I loved it when I was a kid and just as much as I loved it when I was a kid that's how much I love this film it is fantastic it's Smurftastic and people who don't like it, people that review it and don't like it, get a four-year-old kid or a six-year-old kid, take it to the cinema and ask them afterwards what they thought. Seriously, how can it be a tiny kid who doesn't like this? I don't understand that. This, this is one of the cutest films. It even has a great message. It's just fun. And I think it's not even very long. It's like 90 minutes or something. You know, it's not a waste of time. It is just so much fun. It's a great film. Absolutely loved it. Um, actually, I think, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot more than Ghost in the Shell. So I should have started with this. So for this week's episode of the Weekly Watch, the highlight of the week is Smurfs the Lost Village. I'm changing it from Ghost in the Shell. I'm changing it to Smurfs the Lost Village because I think this is the more well-rounded film. I still enjoyed Ghost in the Shell. And I didn't really like The Lost City of Zed. Like I said, this is the contrarian episode of the Weekly Watch. Dun, dun, dun. Everyone else hates the Smurfs. Everyone else hates Ghosts in the Shell and loves The Lost City of Zed. Well, not here. Not me. Not on my watch. I'm a salmon. I have a totally opposing point of view to everyone else. So... I don't know what to tell you like I really I really love the Smurfs I love Ghosts in the Shell um, I think you should go and see it especially go and see the Smurfs if you watch the Smurfs when you were a kid it doesn't matter how old you are now go and see it because I think you'll have a lot of fun if you have children and they want to see it or they want to see a film take them to this because you really have nothing to worry about it's very entertaining. If you take your kids to see something like Trolls, you can take your kids to see the Smurfs, trust me. Um, I still think people should go and see Ghost in the Shell. Um, I kind of want to say if you like anime, you'd like it, but it's, like I said, it's very superficial, so it's not as good as the anime. If, you, if you've seen Ghost in the Shell and you're intrigued, Check out the anime by Mamoru Oshii with two eyes at the end. Um, it's from 1995. There were several animes and there was like a TV show or an OVA or something. I've never seen any of that. I've only seen the first, um, the first film, the first anime. I've read the manga as well, which is also quite different to the anime because it was a lot more fun and tongue-in-cheek than the anime was. Anime is very, very cerebral and very serious. Um, 
But definitely, if you like the idea of Ghost in the Shell, you might not have liked the execution of the real-life adaptation. Check out the anime and let me know what you think. And overall, I would tell everyone to just stay clear of The Lost City of Zed. I really didn't think it was entertaining at all. Um, the acting's good. Uh, Sienna Miller is good. Um, Hunman is good. Patterson is good. I really like that. But as a film, as the narrative of the film doesn't flow at all, it's not interesting. Like the first half of the film is interesting and the second half I just want to cut it. I really want to trim every single ounce of fat it has. It's just too long, um, which is unfortunate. So next time on the Weekly Watch, um, I will hopefully finally get around to seeing live that new science fiction film with a bunch of dudes and Rebecca Ferguson. Um, Maybe if I get around to it, I might even be able to watch the Power Rangers. I've had the fucking theme tune in my head for weeks now. It's f it's horrible. Go, go, Power Rangers. I've never even watched a TV show. I was too old already when that came out. And it was just too... Uh, it was too childish. And yet I've seen an episode here or there. So I kind of have to see it. Um, so Life, uh, Power Rangers, and maybe Boss Baby is out. It looks like shit. And I think it was reviewed like it was shit. But I think it works really well with the screening of live. So I will probably watch that as well. So next week, live, Boss Baby, Power Rangers, any of these. And maybe if I get around to it, a Beauty and the Beast. Still haven't seen that one. It's doing really well at the box office without me. So no worries there. Don't forget that you can email me at weeklywatchcast at gmail.com. So that's weeklywatchcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Melanie underscore Radloff. And let me know what you've been watching in the cinema. What do you think of Ghost in the Shell? What do you think of the Smurfs? What's your highlight of the week? Have you seen Get Out yet? If not, get the fuck out and watch Get Out. It's fantastic. Um, well, this has been running very long. I'm, I do apologize. It's been three films. I will try to do better. I'm working on it. Always working on myself. So I hope you guys have a lovely weekend no matter what you do. But you should go to the cinema. If you want to go to the theater, actually, um, my theater play is, uh, we're performing on Sunday at the Phoenix or next Wednesday at the Phoenix as well. So check us out. It's the Rebirth Showcase in case you want to see me make an ass out of myself in front of a bunch of people. Um, until then, enjoy your weekend and I will see you again next week. Bye.